Welcome to the Swim Swam podcast. I'm your host, Coleman Hodges. Joining me today, she is an NCAA All-American Big 12 champion, USA national team alumni, and uh, most recently, senior thesis student at (laughs) the University of Texas. She interviewed me yesterday, and today I'm returning the favor. We are talking to Grace Ariola. What's up, Grace? Hello. Happy to be here. (laughs) interviewed me yesterday which was a very odd sensation for me I'm not used to that I'm not I'm used to asking the questions so let's just get it straight it's my show today got it got it I, I don't even have my doc pulled up <laughs> <laughs> um, we're going to talk about that in a little bit but uh, first I want to get to uh, October in the middle of October you announced your medical retirement um, you had had you know, a, a pretty, a pretty noisy year, your freshman season in Texas. Um, and then, you know, you had some medical issues and, um, we kind of saw you in and out of the pool. I would be at Texas meets and you're always like in the stands cheering and wearing these awesome, crazy outfits sometimes. And that was super fun to see, but I, I never, you know, knew what was up. And so, um, in your own words, can you take us through what led to this medical retirement for you? Yeah, so it was a kind of a long process, long, arduous process of figuring out what was wrong, what had happened, and what to do from there. So I had a pretty great fall of my freshman year. Everything was so fun. I loved being at Texas. Um, like every, it just was very fun. Lots of hard work. Nothing I wasn't used to. And then after our fall invite, the Hall of Fame, great beat. Um, I got really, really sick and it was just this viral illness and there's really nothing they could do about it. And I got sick in November, kind of recovered and then got sick again in January. And it was just this really long drawn out process with this one illness that I just couldn't recover from. And so we thought I got over it and I just didn't feel the same after. Like I went to NCAAs that year and I didn't do super well, but I had been sick for two months. Um, I just didn't feel myself. And it, we kind of like we kind of expected that me wasn't going to be super great, but we didn't expect that I wasn't going to just recover completely from that. I just was experiencing unbelievable amounts of fatigue and like every swimmer knows what it's like to be fatigued. But this was a level that I'd never experienced before. And it wasn't something that I could recover from no matter how much time I took off. So I take weekends off. I would sleep in, not come to morning practices, and it just wasn't getting any better. And I couldn't go fast times in practice, like sprint practices almost stopped entirely. Um, If I was going to do a sprint practice, it meant like the next three days were going to be really, really slow, warm down, warm up kind of practices. And that was so hard for me to deal with. I mean, like these are practices I remember specifically, there was one where it was just four 150s warm up and I got lapped. My cat just started climbing up the blinds. started, I got laughed in a 150 and I just started, I ran to the locker room and started crying because I just couldn't figure out what was wrong. I felt so bad. 
And then the, like our uh, B1 doctors are amazing and our trainers amazing. And there just wasn't any answers because no one had seen it before. And we got, I got mono tested a bunch of times. I got all these different tests and just nothing came back. And they were just like, I don't know what to tell you. So I spent like the next year just kind of putting my head down and seeing what would happen. And that was my sophomore year. It did not go well. It was mentally so draining socially. It like kind of pulled me back from my teammates because I couldn't understand why I wasn't with them. They couldn't understand why I couldn't keep up. And I mean, as a college athlete, no one, you got to look out for yourself first. And that kind of was very lonely for me because it felt like no one was looking out for me. But at the same time, all my teammates have to look out for themselves my coaches have 30 kids to look out for. And it just was very isolating, even though like everyone was doing what they could do for me. Um, it was just very, it was hard. It was a very hard experience my sophomore year, very lonely. Um, and so big 12s happen and they were maybe my worst meet I've ever had in my life. And I just kind of took a break and was like, I'm going to need to recover from this emotionally and figure out how I feel about the sport in the first place, because this is just bringing me so much unhappiness and so much pain to know what I used to be capable of, be at this pool that I've been at before and know what I've done in this pool and to have myself go so many seconds slower and feel exactly the same afterwards. So it was something like very devastating to my self-worth um, devastating to my idea of myself. And so after big 12s, Carol and I had to talk and like, she was like, okay, like, let's take this easy, figure it out. And then COVID hit like immediately after that unexpectedly. And I was able to go home and going home was like, you hate to say like, that was like the best thing that could have happened for me, but because COVID was so awful is so awful but like going home was so healing and I was able to get to the Mayo clinic in Minnesota and they have a chronic fatigue, um, like section of the hospital. And I did all these tests and they were like, you've got chronic fatigue syndrome, a little bit of POTS. Um, here's what we can do for you. You might consider medically retiring because it's going to be very hard for you to get back if you ever get back. And hearing that I started crying cause I was like, no, like this can't be happening. Um, and it was just a very hard time after Mayo and figuring out what was going to be the next steps. How can I tell this to Carol? How can I tell this to my team? And how can I be a part of the team without feeling like a burden or getting in anybody's way? And luckily, Carol and Mitch was brought on shortly after, and they were both so understanding and so willing to just be like, no, come back. We'll figure this out. Like, this will be OK. And so I did. I came back. And I swam for a year. I didn't swim, but I didn't redshirt either just because it didn't seem like it was worth to redshirt because maybe I was going to come back. Who knows? Who knew? <laughs> um, so I did that year. I swam by myself. I wrote my own practices. Uh, Carol and Mitch helped me make a, a Google Sheets where I wrote down all my practices. And um, you could see I progressed. I got up to 4,000 a day. And that was huge considering I started at 100 a day. And I just had to very slowly build my way up. Once a week, I went up two to 300 yards. And or once every two weeks, it went up 300. And that was such a long, long process. And it was lonely, but I enjoyed it. It taught me to remember that I liked swimming 
And it was very freeing to be able to control my own practices and control the rate that I increased at. Um, but then got to the summer, um, trials was very hard to watch, very hard to see all my friends all together and know that I was missing out. But I mean, the joy that I felt watching all my friends make it like Kieran, I cried for him because he was on the first night, Erica, Patty, Drew, I mean, like, I'm missing Brooke, like, so many of my friends were able to make it. And it was, I mean, I cried so many times that week for, for them and then for myself. And that kind of was a turning point, I think, in the process. It kind of felt like the final death of my dream a little bit, like realizing, like, I'm probably never going to get there again. And then what do I do with that feeling from there? And after that, I got mono, <laughs> like, a week after. Don't know where I got it from, but that was devastating just because on top of already having chronic fatigue syndrome, getting another fatiguing illness, I did not move a lot. Um, so then there was a, the Olympics and I was at home with that and cheering for Erica and um, seeing her get that silver. I mean, my mom and I were screaming, hugging each other. <laughs> like Our dog was barking. Um, I mean, like it was so amazing to get to see everybody, but it also was kind of like, for me, the end. I definitely sensed the end was there uh, for me, but it wasn't like in sadness. It was, I got to see my friends and I know that I had a part in their journey and that's good. I like swimming. I'm going to go back and I still planned on swimming, but I knew that I wasn't going to be trying to get back. It was more, I'm just going to be a part of the team and see what happens. And I was just very content with that. And I came back and I did um, two months and I kind of like had another, like, you know, the feeling of swimming through a cold patch of water. That's kind of like, like literally what happened is like, I was swimming one day and was like, what am I even doing this for? Like, what am I doing this for? I, I know what I like. I know, like, I know myself. I know that my worth isn't tied to this anymore. And the kind of the anger and the grief kind of just washed away and was like, I'm not swimming for myself anymore. I'm swimming because because I feel like I owe it to Carol and Mitch for believing in me. And that's just not a good reason to keep swimming for another year when it's so draining to my body. So I had to talk with Carol and I talked with Mitch and they were like, I think that's a good decision. Um, you're, they always, they were like, you're always welcome here. I had a dinner with Carol last night um, and I'm having dinner with Mitch next week. So like my relationship is still good. And like, I see the team every day. Um, so it was just kind of like a parting ways of, with the pool, but I always feel like I'll be a swimmer and I always feel like I'll be grateful for the people that I met and the places that I went. And it was never for several years, there was a lot of anger and there was a lot of sadness, but now it's, I loved my time and that I did it. <sighs> a lot um, yeah so and uh and i want to i want to i want to go deeper <laughs> i want more um <clears throat> so first off I, I if you can can you describe some of those feelings of anger or sadness that you had throughout 
those months um, because I want to I want to get to how you dealt with them um, in good or bad ways. But you know, just first off, can you describe those feelings that you had, and were they you know fleeting in minutes? Were they fleeting in hours? Were they did they last for days or weeks? Yeah, part of chronic fatigue syndrome is depression and mental illness. So, and there's also this thing called brain fog, which is one of the determining uh, symptoms of chronic fatigue. And I, I've always been someone that relied on my memory. I'm in a honors call honors program at university of Texas. So my academic career is something that's very important to me. Um, being able to have mental clarity is something that's important to me and having the brain fog and having this depression that just felt like a, a cloud on me at all times was one of the most frustrating parts of this and not being able to describe the feeling. It was mostly this frustration of not being able to communicate what I was feeling and knowing that even if I did, 99% of people aren't going to understand it and they're not going to be able to relate or think that I'm making it up or maybe I'm just being dramatic. And that ruined, not ruined, but definitely put some walls up for me and push back a lot of relationships that I should have been pushing into and using for support. So the anger was from me feeling alone and from me feeling trapped in my own body and knowing that I was capable of more, but it just was locked inside of me and my body wasn't responding to me the way it was, the way it had for so many years and where I used to be able to just will my way through things. It just wasn't there anymore and wondering like, have I lost my edge? Have I lost what made me special? Have I lost what made me worth something? And obviously I know that's not the case, but during that time, I swimming was everything for so many years and knowing that that was slipping away and knowing there was nothing I could do about it. That's the feeling of frustration and anger. And it led to a lot of me being agitated all the time. And if people were to make a mistake near me, I'd lash out and I could hear it in my voice and I could hear me saying it, but there was nothing I could do to stop it. And that cost me a lot of relationships and it cost me a lot of pain from me inflicting pain on other people because I have, I don't, I try to very be um, very kind when I can. And um, I just have a really big heart for people and hearing myself say the things that I was saying and doing what I was doing, it was, I felt trapped in my own body and there's not a worse feeling. I don't think, especially for swimmers, for athletes that have had their bodies obey for so long to just suddenly act out in this betrayal. And I would swim and then do bad. Or like, I'd say I did like, I decided to do 12 fifties of backstroke and I got through six and I suddenly couldn't feel my legs anymore. And I had to crawl to the locker room and I had to, my legs were shaking and my arms were shaking and I collapsed in the locker room. And I just had to like sit with myself for a long time to recover from that. And when I got home, I just like, remember like looking at myself and being like, what the frick is wrong with you? Don't know what the language barriers are on this. Um, <laughs> lots of, lots of swearing at myself and self-hatred and just, I remember asking myself, like, don't you miss this? Like, why are you protecting me from this? Why are you stopping us from being great? Like we used to do, like, because chronic fatigue is a, um, I forgot what the word is like dysautonomia. 
I don't know how to pronounce that. I've only seen it <laughs> written, um, but it's a nervous system dysfunction basically where my body thinks that I'm in danger and it's stopping me from doing the activity that it thinks is in danger, puts us in danger, which is swimming. So I can do a lot of other things and be fine, but swimming because it was associated with the illness sets off these fire alarms in my head that makes me tired. So stress makes me tired. And I just like lizard brain in my is misfiring. And that's so frustrating because I can't control the lizard brain. I can only control the conscious part of me. And that has nothing to do with what chronic fatigue is. And it's very isolating. It's very frustrating. It's very painful. <clears throat> okay. Deep breath. Number two. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds exceedingly isolating and painful. So, so, so take us to the light, you know, how you were dealing with this for it's like going on three years. Yeah. I mean, two, two and a half before you finally decided to completely step away from swimming and retire. Mm -hmm. How, yeah. How did you get through it? in all of these different phases, you know, I'm sure there are lots of ups and downs, you know, maybe small ups and big downs, or, or maybe even some big ups, um, with some smaller downs, but what, what, what tools did you, were you able to slowly put into your belt, um, to get you through this? You, what was the major? it ended up being the majority of your collegiate experience. So, I might cry when I talk about this because this is, I think this, what changed was I started volunteering at an animal shelter. I volunteer at Austin Animal Center. And that has been, it feels like home to me is that place and those people. They, when they started knowing me by name, even though I didn't talk to any of them and the, um, like I was on this Facebook group and one time they asked me for a dog recommendation. I started crying because I felt so seen and I didn't, it didn't matter how I performed or how many dogs I got at. It mattered that I was there and that I was walking dogs and it mattered that I was giving love to these dogs and I was cuddling the cats and I was cleaning kennels. And it was just enough that I was there. And that was the difference. It was me doing something that wasn't performance-based. It was something that filled my bucket and I got to name dogs and I got to just love on these dogs and I see them after they've been adopted and I cannot rave enough about how volunteering changed my collegiate career. I mean, like if I didn't have that, I don't know if I'd still at least have swam for as long as I did or been in college for as long as I was. It was the difference maker was being able to have a space that was completely unrelated to swimming. These people didn't even know I swam. They were like, Oh, that's, that's great. She, she wants the big dogs. She's a blue dot rocker. Like, <laughs> Oh, that's Limburger's best friend. Like I was known for the dogs that I loved and um, the ones that I would walk on mo the most. And like, that was the difference. I had dogs that loved me, even if I was shaky or if I was walking slow or if I had to sit down, they were happy to sit down next to me. They were happy if I was just there. And that was so rehabilitating for me. And it helped me learn how to walk for long periods of time again. And relax when I was doing so and be stressed because being at a dog shelter is stressful. <laughs> There's things that happen and it kind of rehabilitated my body to 
learn how to deal with stress and be okay with that. Um, and then I also got, I got granny, my, my beloved cat. Uh, <laughs> and she, she's my little ESA and she cuddles me when I'm feeling bad and she comes and lays on my chest or bites me. <laughs> so it was a lot of animals um, that helped me kind of re- recover my self-worth and remember that I have purpose outside of swimming. I also have a fish tank. I lost a fish last night, so I'm a little I'm a little sad about my fish tank. Um, but I, I have plants. I have a beloved roommates. I have friends that I just love to death and that love me. And my family also was huge during this process. I was can't iterate enough. My family. I feel like I kind of overshadowed them with the shelter, but they'll understand. Um, <laughs> so my mom and dad well, were. T- to yeah. be fair, they weren't there, right? Yeah. And so I'm from Illinois and uh, I'm in Texas, which is a long ways away, (laughs) but my mom got a lot of my calls and always answered when I called and it was sometimes two, three times a day. I was like, Bob, I'm so sad. She goes, I know it's okay. (laughs) So my mom was always there for me. My sister had um, a very similar experience playing college softball um, with chronic illness and so she was able to help me through this a lot. Um, she was one of the Very younger. Yes. I've, uh, I'm the youngest. So I have two older sisters and an older brother. Okay. Um, so my sister, my oldest sister um, was very helpful. Um, my mom and dad, I mean, my entire family just kind of came through for me when I needed them. And even when I didn't need them, they're always there. I love my family a lot. Um, yeah. So, so um let me take a step back. What, how did you discover the animal shelter and when did you start volunteering there? Um, my roommate, Holly uh, Jansen was my roommate for the first two years. Then we moved out of the dorms and we lived together for a year. And, and she had said like, Austin Animal Center lets you go and pet dogs. Like you can go <laughs> in there and pet dogs. And I was like, we got to go. We got to go. Oh, that's a must. <laughs> that's a must. And so you can like the public can walk green dots and there's not a lot of green dots. So I was like, how do I get in with the blue dots, which are the little, little harder dogs. And they were like, you, you got to volunteer. And I was like, I'm in, I'm in. So I, I signed up to do a little orientation session. I did it. And I have volunteered probably four hours a week, every week since then. And that was the fall of my sophomore year. Okay. Okay. So this was, that was pretty fairly early along in, in this, uh, you know, medical, uh, auto autoimmune process. Yeah. Um, and so, so that was, that was a a big part. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so again, kind of going back to those, those downer feelings, um, was, did you throughout that process, did you find ways to immediately react to those feelings? Again, you know, if, if you're, I mean, it sounded like there was so much rage or sadness, or like you said, depression. It's like when that comes on, I feel like at least sometimes it can just come out of nowhere. Right. Um, And it's hard to react or it's hard to recognize them and not just not just impulsively react. Um, did you find ways to deal with those throughout this process of just kind of 
of recognizing the feelings and and thereby reacting the way you wanted to versus you know maybe lashing out at someone or um something like that Mm -hmm. um one of the there's not a lot of like physical treatments for chronic fatigue or like these um I don't know what to call them, but like nervous system disorders, like fibromyalgia is another one of them that's under the same umbrella. Um, But it is a lot of mindfulness and meditation and feeling your body and not being afraid to feel what you're feeling. So it's a lot of getting to know yourself, knowing what's going on in your head and not letting it just kind of go by, which is the easier thing to do, um, especially when what's going on in there is so painful. So it was a lot of my mom begging me to meditate. I was like, no, I think that's dumb. And eventually I got around to it. Um, so it was meditation, um, doing things that filled my bucket. Like I like to paint. I like to write. I like to have granny on my lap. <laughs> Watering my plants gives me um, time to examine what I'm thinking feeling before I go to bed at night, going through each of my body parts and going, I can feel each finger. I can feel each toe. I can feel my calves. And then like can body control very, um, I don't know, controlled movements. Um, I will say, I think writing was something that was huge during that time. And it was something that I hated to do. I've always loved writing. I've always had a journal and my writing pretty much stopped about the time that it was my sophomore year because everything I was writing was sad. And I hated that. I hated going back and reading it and be like, God damn, like, why am I so sad? (laughs) Um, But it was something that was important that I did was definitely writing, journaling what I was feeling, recognizing that it was temporary, recognizing that it's okay that I was feeling those things. Like sadness isn't a bad thing. It's just sadness. Happiness isn't a good thing. It's just happiness. There's, I was had these associations with the feelings I was having versus just feeling them. And then if I was sadness, if it was sadness, recognizing it's okay that I feel sad. I don't have to prevent this feeling. It is okay. From something like swimming where emotions aren't necessarily encouraged, where it's a lot of croggling, as we say, or, um, keeping inside like what we've been feeling like if you're in pain keep that to yourself don't complain a lot of rehabilitating that kind of mindset and understanding like emotions are all right they're my friend they're telling me what's going on um so journaling recognizing doing things that fill my bucket like going to the shelter painting writing granny she's being cute so i'm gonna hold her up this is (laughs) this is the beloved I'm sorry to disturb you, madam. <laughs> That's that was a great answer. Thank you. Um, a lot of things. Um, and and you know, just to be totally transparent, I ask this because there might be other people who go through something similar or who, who just have down times. And I love getting to use this platform as a as a resource for people who might be listening. Um, who's swimmers who might be listening and feel sad and get to get to hear what Grace Ariola does when she feels sad, you know, or mad. 
Um, so that was a, that was a good list. Take note listeners. Um, so let's get, so I think that was a pretty comprehensive dive into, uh, your last two and a half years. So let's bring it to the present where you are now in your senior year of college and you're working on a thesis. Tell me about this thesis. Tell me how it came to be. Uh, end of question. Okay. Okay. So I'm in the plan to honors program at university of Texas. And for our senior year, we write a thesis and plan two is interdisciplinary liberal arts. Basically it tells us to how to think, how to connect what we learn to our lives how to be well-rounded people is basically, I'm sure there's a much better answer. I've never learned it. Um, Sounds like a good when answer. I tell people, they're like, what's plan two? And I'm like, I know how to think good. That's, <laughs> I probably get a lot of shit from plan two for that, but, um, but yeah. So and plan two is like, no, 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 no. we don't know her. Uh, <laughs> um, but like the plan two people are geniuses. And I felt a lot of imposter syndrome with the plan two people. So I was very honored to be in this program and writing this thesis, you start at your like mid junior year is when you start thinking about it and you start at your senior year and you have, you're doing it, doing it, doing it all your senior year. And it's due at the, when you graduate. So you are always thinking about it because it's a, it's the biggest part of your uh, curriculum at plan two. And I was always like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know anything that well. I don't, I don't feel like I know any subjects that well because I didn't do any other majors. I like media studies. It's one of my minors. So I was like, okay, like I'll look at media studies. And I met with my advisor and she was like, don't, don't you swim? Like, why don't you do something about swimming? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I love swimming. I love swimming stuff. So that was kind of what decided it. And I've always been interested in like swim, swam and swimming world and swimming media and kind of how that affects athletes and how that's affected the sport in just different ways. So I think that's kind of the, the main passion there. But then I was like, well, there's more to swimming than just the media. There's like culture. And there's been so many of us that have come down with illnesses that I was so weird about or like mental health crisis or eating disorders. Like that felt so weird to me to be like, why are half of my friends in treatment centers? Why are so many of us, it feels like kind of came down with something. And obviously like, you know, that your career is not going to be perfect, but it felt like things were wrong. And I wanted to study and look more into that. So this felt like it was a way for me to learn what I'd been curious about for several years. So I decided to do that and to do a comprehensive culture swimming study, which is a big project. I don't know if it's going to work out, <laughs> but we'll see. And I've enjoyed doing it so far. Um, so I think that answers the question. <laughs> yeah. So, so you, you're interviewing members of swimming media, you're interviewing coaches, you're interviewing swimmers about uh, the cultural change in swimming since 2008, you know, when, when Michael Phelps, was swimming when, when he won eight gold medals. Is that, is that a fair summary yeah. of your yes. project? Perfect summary. Okay. Um, is there, I mean, obviously you're writing this thesis, but is there a goal, um, 
like, what are you hoping to attain? What are you hoping to learn? What are you hoping to present with this? I think that is a mystery to us all. Um, I think I'm just exploring. Like, I don't have a thesis. I don't have anything I'm trying to prove. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess like at the end of the day, I'm saying there is a change in culture. Um, but that's very vague and not a great research question. Um, so I think that'll be something I discover closer to the end. Um, what I'm really looking for. I hope I hope to present some findings of here's what's changed. Here's what we can do better. Here's how swimmers are doing. Um, here's how coaches are doing. This is what's up. That's just, I think that's that. I don't think I'm having an argument or anything. Nice. And so then, yeah, what, what does the final project look like? So I'm doing half research, half creative. And so I think it'll be like a 30 page research paper on what my findings are. And then I will also be doing a narrative essay, creative piece on three swimmers on like their journeys throughout. And I think I want to do uh, three female swimmers. And I don't know if I want to say their names because I don't have confirmation from all three of them yet. Um, but just something about their lives and that swimming doesn't have to end in success or like amazing glory for these careers to not be a disappointment. And I, cause that was what I felt. It was, it'll be chronic. It's cathartic for me to, explore this and be like I had a successful career even though it didn't end the way I wanted it to and that's okay like a lot of people look back in disappointment and for a long time I was like I'm not I think that my career won't have been worth it if I don't make the Olympics or if I don't win an NC2As that's just stupid (laughs) it took me a long time to figure out like what are you talking about I got to go to Singapore and Hawaii and Spain and France like that was amazing and for me to be like no it wasn't worth it because I didn't do this that was so unhealthy for me and so I think telling stories that show that and show that even though they didn't end up with Olympic gold or NCAA careers or anything like they were still good careers and they were still worth something and that would have been helpful for me to see so hoping that that will be helpful for someone else to see. Seems like a very good goal. <clears throat> okay. I, you said half, half essay, half creative. And I was hoping the creative part would be like, you present your findings like in a swimming pool while <laughs> you're like racing a 500 or something, but <clears throat> you know, I don't know, food for thought. There's time. <laughs> there is time yet. <laughs> Um, okay. So, uh, so wrapping this up, you're doing this thesis, you're in school. Where do you feel like you're, you announced this retirement about a month ago. Where do you feel like your relationship with swimming is right now? It's, it's always going to be in turbulence. I think for the next several months, if not years, because there were several traumatic things that happened like the drug test, um, getting sick. There was just other things that happened and it'll be a lot of healing. Like, I don't think it's perfect. I don't think that it will be perfect for a long time, but I don't look back on it in disappointment anymore. Like I did while I was mourning the end. 
I don't cry when I talk about it, which is what happened for several months <laughs> leading up to it, or even the weeks after it happened. I cried almost every day leading up to the last day and probably two weeks after. And I just, I was able to talk through this whole thing and I, it's not painful. It's not in regret. It's, I like swimming. I always will like swimming. I think swimming is great. I think that it is something that is pure and it is such a wonderful community. And I'm so lucky that I got to be a part of it. And I actually am interning for uh, WOWZA, the World Open Water Swimming Association. And that is something that I take great joy in, even though I've always hated open water swimming. <laughs> I think that open water swimming is gross and scary, <laughs> but I did it in Barton Springs, like the, the pool, and I could see the bottom. I was like, actually, this isn't so bad. This, this isn't so bad at all. Um, so when I, you can see the bottom. When you can see the bottom. <laughs> like big asterisks. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I've so I get to see swimming from a different perspective than I've ever seen it before. And <laughs> I run social media for them every once in a while. And um I get to see open water swimmers and how much they love swimming. It's not really performance space for them at all. It's about, hey, I got in and swam in this really cold lake, and this is how cool it was. And it's like a selfie of them. And I just think that is so wholesome. And it brings me such joy to see, oh my God, Granny, stop, stop, stop <laughs> being crazy. <laughs> so swimming, swimming is good. I think my relationship with swimming is good. Yeah. That's, that's, I think that's a great stopping point, Grace. It's, it's, thank you so much for uh, your honesty and your vulnerability today. Um, it was very enlightening to hear about your last two and a half years in swimming or out of swimming however you want to phrase it um but thank you so much it's it's been really great talking and hearing your story thank you for listening i appreciate it and also i hope that if anybody is listening and have experienced this like they know they can reach out my instagram dms email i mean just like i'm open i love to hear about it and i hope this helped so thank you for the platform You've been listening to the Swim Swam podcast. Stay tuned for new episodes every week. You can take Swim Swam podcast on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Look for links in the description below and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos as well.